Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reframe Your Brain. Starting with episode 11, Danielle Kent and I are doing something different. Each week, we'll be sharing conversations with a variety of people talking about what they're reframing in this challenging and pivotal time of COVID-19. If you want to share a story about something that you're reframing, reach out to us on Instagram at Reframe Your Brain. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Reframe Your Brain. It's Danielle Kent here and my wonderful colleague and friend, Leah Safran. Hello. We are back together after a little hi- I don't know, COVID-19 hiatus. I feel- yeah, it's been months <laughs> since we've seen each other. It's like a reunion. I do. That's what I, it's been like over three months. Yeah. I'm, feeling, I'm feeling the joy deep in my soul. <laughs> would you like to introduce our, or, or, or pass it off to our guests? Yes, I would love to pass it off. We have two very special guests today. Ladies, can you guys introduce yourselves if I pass it over? Absolutely. I will start. My name is Jennifer Lotto, and I'm a speech pathologist. I have a master's degree in speech and healthcare leadership, and I work as the director of rehab in an LTAC hospital um, here in Massachusetts. And I also uh, coach and mentor uh, SLPs across the country um, in our LTAC division for Kindred um, to help improve their evidence-based practice and their documentation. And I've been working with Brenda since about 2015, and we've been doing uh, lectures and CEU courses on mindfulness and meditation and how to incorporate that into practice in the healthcare setting. Um, and also with pediatrics and this idea of therapeutic presence, which we're gonna get into later. Yeah, and I'm Brenda Lavette. And I am also a speech language pathologist. I, my, my full-time job is in an out, outpatient rehab, uh, working with the adult population, all types of patients, but I do currently have a specialty working with people with post-concussion syndrome. Uh, so and in addition to that, I'm also a yoga instructor and I teach uh, regular public classes and also classes for people with brain injury. And uh, sometimes I find that I will end up talking about brain stuff in my yoga classes. And sometimes I talk about yoga stuff in my speech pathology sessions. And that's all started to kind of meld together in a really organic, nice way. Um, And yeah, and I've been really enjoying collaborating with Jen over the last five or six years to create educational materials for clinicians um, and and educators to use mindfulness in their practice. Awesome. Um, I think to get us started, you know, I like to start off these conversations asking about what people are reframing or rethinking, um, reconfiguring, and also one of the questions I have for you, both of you is sort of how you came to this work around incorporating initially mindfulness and meditation practices and into the materials that you create or just how that, how that became a topic you're interested in. And then also a little bit about this um, shift to these five pillars of therapeutic presence. Um, or if there's something else that's really standing out to you that you're reframing right now in this moment relative to work or otherwise, um, I like to kind of open it up and um, use that as a starting point for our conversation. So, Brent, I'll take how we uh, started off with this, and then you can grab uh, onto the therapeutic presence piece of it. Um, so I was actually working on an, an ASHA talk uh, involving meditation and mindfulness, and it was just, you know, I had written up some of it, and it just wasn't quite right, and I had tagged Brenda to get in there and, and work on some components of it, and um, it was accepted to ASHA. I think this was 2015. And we had such a great uh, showing for the talk and people were so interested and emailing us after and just, we saw a huge need for this kind of education. And we kind of just ran with it from there and, uh, you know, speechpathology.com and Northern Speech Services and um, Motivations kind of picked up on our talks. And so, you know, we've, we've had the pleasure of now educating thousands and thousands of clinicians um, on these topics. Yeah. 
Yeah, that first after talk was so exciting. I remember one of my mentors, Dr. Helm Esterbrook, she still talks about this. We emailed about it recently. She said she came to our talk because it was like scheduled at some ridiculous time. It was like four o'clock the last day of the conference or something. And she came because she had nothing else to do. And she was expecting there'd be a few people in the crowd. And she always says, the room was packed. I couldn't believe it. These ladies filled the whole room with this topic. And it just goes to show that people really, they, there really is a thirst for the information here. And, and just to take it a step back too, I think for both Jen and I, and then also for a lot of the people that we talk to about our courses, it started with our own practice, you know, for each of us individually working on our own meditation practices and learning about, you know, how to live mindfully and noticing mm -hmm. how that made us feel. Yeah. And then thinking, you know, using critical thinking and thinking this, this has got to be useful for our patients. And because we're scientists and because we really, you know, the evidence is important to us, then we dive into the research and we look at what's available. And, um, and you know, so that's, that's the piece that, you know, that, that sort of started, started us out on this journey as our own practice and the curiosity about how we could really responsibly start bringing this into speech pathology practice and you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of what our practice is while also staying true to evidence-based practice and the research and, and so yeah. on. I was at your presentation at ASHA in 2015. Ah. That was how I found out about you. <laughs> That's and awesome. I, it, was, it was a full room. Full room. <laughs> um, and I do remember thinking like, no one ever told me this was part of our practice. This is so cool that like, this is included and they were topics you know the topics that you talked about were things that i was interested at the was beginning to be interested in at the time and so it was so amazing to have you know the opportunity to hear both of you speak and i wasn't working in a medical setting yet or with adults i was working primarily in the schools um and it it gave me it was really encouraging to think about you know ways that the things you were talking about around mindfulness and meditation could be useful for such a broad audience. Um, and it also was sort of hopeful that our field, which can sometimes be kind of, um, I don't, from my perspective, kind of resistant to thinking, sort of re-envisioning what our role is, and that there was like this, this like little, you know, like, hey, over here, we could do something a little different, a little like, you know, we could respond to the current needs of the people that we're working with in a different way or in an, in an additional, you know, here's an additional tool. Um, and so I was so excited that I got to, to see you, um, and hear you speak. Um, it makes me curious. Uh, you're, I love hearing your story from the start. You know, our, our podcast is a lot about reframing and thinking differently. And I think one of the things that we've experienced and that we've, when we've talked to other people who are thinking about things differently from the status quo is how to overcome maybe some initial resistance of people when they're kind of, when something new is popping up and you know it and you've experienced it and you believe it, but other people don't have that same experience yet. And what that was like to kind of communicate to people this new message and any initial resistance or pushback you got and what that was like? Well, it's so interesting because from even from the 2015 uh, talk that we did up to the latest ASHA uh, talk we did, the talks are so different. And, and the reason being is because the research is just exploding. Mm -hmm. um, there is so much out there now. And, you know, once people start to hear um, and once we bring that that evidence in, I think people really have this aha moment that, oh, okay. And Brenda and I were just talking about yesterday that people, you know, talking about shifting your mind, people hear holistic and they think that it's quackery or not evidence-based. But right, right. in reality, like this is where we stand on it. There is thousands of peer-reviewed research articles on meditation and the mind-body-brain and you know and we're constantly bringing in the new research and changing uh you know our talks to fit the most current research so that's you know once you start to dive in deep you you really see that there's there's plenty there to work with 
Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, uh, the, the conversation used to always start with, there's not a lot of research about this, but, and we don't have to say that anymore, you know? Yeah. And another thing, and I actually heard somebody say this on another podcast, because I remember one of, one of the very first talks we did, we got, you know, this guy who was posting in question saying, oh, well, that's a small case study or this and that. And, you know, just because it's a small case study or a single case doesn't mean it didn't happen. You know, there's this whole continuum of research and it starts with the single case study and it moves up, but all of it is important because you need that case study for somebody to say, oh, this is worth looking at. Let's, you know, dive in deeper. And, you know, slowly the, the research gets a little more, what's the word I'm looking for? Robust or informative. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and you, you bring up a good point, I think it was you, Danielle, who said about, you know, what do you do when you face that, re when you, you come up against the resistance from, from another person? And this is a great topic that it's something I'm really interested in, especially right now with so many things going on in our world that are kind of controversial and, and we all want to be heard and understood. We, we want to connect and we want people to agree with us. And so this is something that I think is worth exploring for all of us. Like, what do we do when we come up against that resistance? And the first thing is to, is to be really confident in what we know for ourselves. And, and I always say that comes back to our own, for this topic, for our own practice, our own meditation practice, and in, in other situations, you know, with our own work around the topic so that we can feel really you know, clear and educated about what it is that we're talking about, but then also just noticing what happens in us when we come up against the resistance. And that's where mindfulness comes in. So, you know, I'm a big fan of MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction technique of meditation. And that's a lot about body scanning. It focuses a lot on what's going on in the physical body. And so in that moment where you come, ag uh, come up against the resistance, being able to notice, oh, I feel some tightness in my chest, or I feel like I'm getting a little hot. And even just that moment of recognizing can make a little bit of space between the event and your reaction so that you can make a better choice. And this is stuff that we teach our, you know, our especially like students or kids yeah. who have dysregulation issues and things like that is really powerful for us to use in those moments too. And I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert at it, but it's a goal, you know, to be able to use that time to take a breath and then make a good choice about what comes next. And a lot of times that might be asking questions, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of figuring out where the common ground is, um, you know, kind of connecting on the humanity of what it, whatever it is that is, at the bait, the core of the disagreement. And this is like really high level communication stuff that is so important for, you know, for us as clinicians and as people moving through the world and so on. Yeah. I think it's so powerful to hear because we, we come up, we come and, and, I, and I crafted that question intentionally because given your experience, you would be able to speak on really, really in depth on that. I think we come up a lot against not against, we, we experience a lot that when people have their opinions or experiences challenged, they aren't quite sure how to move forward with it. Um, and I remember a colleague a year ago said something like, well, they, they didn't really understand. So I just gave up and walked away. And I was really curious. I was like, oh, and that we have been talking about communicating and listening for several years now and, and the strategies and being able to connect that to this is pretty powerful. Yeah. And I think about, you know, what you're saying about having sort of a personal practice of these things. Um, and I've found sometimes the conversations we have with um, the educational teams that we're working with are a little, um, like a team might really understand sort of theoretically these ideas of like creating space or taking a pause and, you know, a moment for like, how am I feeling? What do I need? Um, and in practice, it um, is, they'll describe that it's just too hard to do that, or they don't remember to do it or whatever. And so we end up finding ourselves in these conversations about, well, how do you do that for yourself? And learning that people sometimes don't 
have strategies for addressing the same challenges for themselves in their personal lives or just on an individual level. And sometimes it creates a really wonderful opportunity for them to start exploring to even start considering that they could have a different experience than the one that they're having. Um, and, and it is really obvious when, when that's happening because it shows up in how um, they interact with their team members, how they interact with us, how mm -hmm. they interact with the kids that, that we're, you know, usually kids right now that we're consulting around um, or working with. And that is sort of making me think about these five pillars mm -hmm. that you've been, <laughs> you've mentioned, um, and whether that is a sort of reframing, you know, or evolution of, you know, where you started to um, an approach that's really about how to, you know, I'd love to hear about that because I'm guessing and I'd love for you to just tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to list them off, Jen, or do you want me to? Um, well, I actually, can we talk a little bit about, you know, the personal practice first and then yeah. into the therapeutic presence a little more, because I think they are a little bit different. And the therapeutic presence is really the idea of like, how do you get yourself in shape to go, uh, go forth and work with others in the most effective way. Um, so I think that kind of starts with the whole having your own practice piece. But yeah, Brenda, do you want to take that or? Yeah, that's a, yeah, great point, Jen. And and I wish that you all out there in podcast land could see our graphic on this because it really describes what Jen just said that, you know, we have kind of this tree, there's therapeutic presence, and the first step is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, we should take an opportunity to define mindfulness and, and meditation and, and the differences. Um, so because we use the terms sort of interchangeably sometimes, but they are two different things. So um, so mindfulness is the, uh, is the way of living your life. Meditation is the practice. So meditation is like, uh, you know, if you're doing, um, what are those called in basketball? Free, free throws free or throws. something like that. Like you're practicing free, free thro throws on the court. And then mindfulness is when you're out on the court of life and, and applying that to, to your everyday experiences. Um, and mindfulness, so definitely, oh, I hope I can get this right. Mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in a particular moment, non-judgmentally. And that's the definition from John Kabat-Zinn, who's, you know, one of the, the people who developed MBSR techniques. So paying attention to a particular moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And all of those parts are really important to, to be actually being mindful you know, especially the non-judgmentally part, not worrying whether you're doing it right, not worrying whether, you know, you know, what's going to happen next and so on. Um, so, so in our tree, we've got mindfulness and then the, these five pillars of, of therapeutic presence, which are intention, emotional intelligence, compassion, growth mindset, and gratitude. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the five pillars. And the way that Jen and I developed this model is we, we got together one day at a coffee shop and we were like, okay, what is this thing of therapeutic presence? And we had these note cards and we just wrote down all of these different ideas, like, um, like, you know, different aspects of gratitude and different, you know, we kind of just brain dumped all of this stuff and we organized them into these five categories. And it's just based on you know, our own journeys and what we've, what we found along the way. Um, so, so yeah, those are, those are the five pillars. I'm not sure if we want to kind of talk about each one or if there's one that stands out to you guys that, uh, that we could dive into or. I'm curious out of those five pillars, if any have resonated or changed or, or over the, over this pandemic, if any of them have really been adapted further in your experiences or if you've experienced them differently or observed them differently? Yeah, I'm going to take that. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think they're all important, but we can, um, you know, I, I've been working with COVID patients, my staff and I, and, um, you know, 
also having a four-year-old at home that my husband was trying to work from home and manage and I shifted my schedule. And so, you know, initially when this, the pandemic hit, you know, I had some fear. I feared for my team. I didn't know what was going to happen. So it was like, I started to run on the hormones of stress and I really like, it took a little while for me to say, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. I got to go back to basics, go back to my practice. And, you know, I think intention was really important here too, because, um, you know, when I stepped into the doors of the hospital, right, going back to my intention, right? Yeah, it's easy to get caught up in like, do we have enough PPE? Does everybody have what they need? Like, uh, you know, I don't want to get COVID and mm. all of that stuff. But my intention is to help my patients get better. That was my intention. My intention is to make sure that my team has everything they need so they feel safe. And, you know, just kind of, right, taking a step back and going back to, but I did, I really had to go back to my practice. And I remember the first night that I did a meditation before bed and I woke up the next morning and I really felt like a different human being. And it's always that, that always happens when you take a little time off and then you're like, God, why have I not been doing this uh -huh. the whole time? What is wrong with me? Like, of course this is going to help, but you know, you feel like, oh, I just need to relax and watch TV and get my mind off it. But that's not going to be the answer ever, even though you feel like that's the way you need to unplug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's I, like, I am, I, this is stuff we talk about. This is stuff that I work on with kids. Like I'm writing a kid's book about learning to pause. Like I'm like, a, like it's really hearing your experience and tying it to the work we do. It's, it's really amazing. That's awesome. And I, I think that, you know, your, your observation of, you know, why don't I do like, of course this works. Why didn't I think of this? <laughs> Yeah, hello. <laughs> telling everyone else to do. <laughs> oh gosh. It yeah. reminds me there's um a yoga teacher who I follow who calls it the trance of, you know, the trance of relaxation, the sort of trance of these concepts that we have as a culture around like what we think helps us decompress or like um what relaxing or downtime looks like and adjusting our creating you know m movement away from like that sort of tr and you know trance of I just need to sit and like zone out versus like I need to like re-embody and connect my you know organism um and how how effective and powerful that is when we remember to do it <laughs> and how easy it is to forget <laughs> I think those things are so important to mention because I know that um, when I've talked with other people, friends or whoever, coworkers about meditation, sometimes there's this like, oh, I don't, I can't do that. I don't have, an, I don't have the right attention span um, or I don't have, you know, the right something. And to, that there's this idea of perfectionism around meditation and have living mindfully um, and then within our profession, I think there's like a hyper focus on perfectionism, at least that we've encountered, um, in a lot of different ways, uh, or knowing, you know, having all the answers, knowing all the information and to have you describe an experience where you're like, you have all the knowledge and the tools and the awareness of when to use them is like continually evolving. And that yeah. that is the practice or part of the practice I think is really critical for people to hear. It's not like you learn to meditate, then you lead a mindful life and everything is okay. Like that's, that's a little bumpier and that's what happens also. <laughs> yeah, and it's also yeah. important to know that, you know, it's going to go in waves. There's going to be times where, you know, you're doing great and you have a practice and it's steady and things happen. But then, you know, as life changes and as your environment changes, it's going to, it's going to shift you in different ways. So it's okay right. to kind of like fall off and jump right. back on. But that actually leads us to the 
the next pillar of therapeutic presence, which is emotional intelligence. So, right. It's that self-awareness that like, oh, geez, I'm feeling a little out of control right now. And what do I need to do to get myself back into a place where I am in control of my body? Right. And as you're speaking to, I was just thinking about resiliency and um, how that even an interrupted practice or a developing practice of what you're describing creates more and more resiliency so that you're able to come back and recognize with that awareness that you have something you can um, access so that you you feel more supported and you're able to more support yourself. yeah. yeah and, and being able to, to and that's where the non-judgmentally piece mm. comes in too mm-hmm. you know like the forgetting and remembering and being able to regard that without judgment and without making that mean something that it doesn't mean yeah. you know and and when you talk about resilience uh, that that taps into growth mindset right like the belief and we're really talking when we first begin teaching about um therapeutic presence we're talking about how to apply it to practice but of course it applies to ourselves too so believing I can do this believing that I can learn and grow actually makes you learn and grow more and and there's some really interesting research on that too like when teachers believe that their students are able to learn then they perform better so you know and the same for ourselves when we believe that we have the capacity to learn and improve then we do Mm. Do you, I was going to ask if you want to tie this into some of the, the therapeutic or, you know, the, the practice piece, because um, you were saying it's, there's the, the individual sort of personal journey that's happening or skills that are growing, and then there's like the next part or the companion part. Well, I wanted to first say that, you know, with a patient, right, when you, you know, making sure you're coming into the space clear and with a clear intention and a clear mind, um, you know, in this pandemic, it's so easy to get out of control. You're putting all this PPE on, your, you know, your thoughts are wandering. It's not your normal routine. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen it happen on the floor. Um, you know, and it's nobody's fault, but again, that self-awareness piece, it's like, if you walk into a patient's room and you're stressed out and you, um, are not in control of your body and your emotions, it is like walking onto a plane where the pilot is screaming and frantic and crazy. You are not going to feel comfortable on that airplane, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So for, for that patient, you are the pilot. And the way that you walk into the room and the way you respond to them is the level of comfort that they are going to feel. It, so it dives so deep into co-regulation. It really does. Like it's, yeah. Take it away. No, the, 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 I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with co-regulation with kids. It's just the act of regulating with children and like being essentially the pilot with them instead of being a co-pilot with them and starting to panic with them. It's exactly like that. And it's, the importance of being able to regulate with somebody. And I also wanted, I wondered if you guys could talk a little bit about the power of having each other and a growing crew of, of, of SLPs, of professionals who also are actively practicing and what support that is to you. Yeah, so we actually have uh, the Facebook group, a holistic SLP mastermind group. So it's a, a really growing crowd of, of folks that are interested in this topic exactly and you know it's it's been great to watch uh clinicians support each other as they kind of develop these skills and continue on this journey so that i wanted to mention first and foremost Mm -hmm. if it's not in the group um and we'll link that we'll link that in our show notes so that they can click right over but working with brenda has been just amazing i mean we feed off each other so well and you know we're always in sync. It's, um, it's unbelievable the amount of work we can accomplish. And, and, you know, it's, it's been awesome because even, you know, in terms of kind of staying on track with the mindfulness, we're able to talk about together kind of how we've fallen off or how this, 
this pandemic has kind of tripped us up in different ways, um, you know, and, and it's been interesting, the dynamic, because Brenda, you know, had been furloughed for a little bit and, you know, is just starting to go back now, um, whereas I was like in the trenches. So it was like two totally different you know, opposite ends of the spectrum problems, um, but, you know, both very, very challenging. And so it's been nice to kind of talk about those challenges just as friends even. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something we've talked about in our talks too, is kind of how, how we're able to complement each other. And it's not because we think the same way. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And it's an example we, we give in our talk about therapeutic presence. So um, in the intention piece, we talk about um, Tony Robbins, who's a, a motivational speaker, and he has this concept of six, the six human needs. And I, I don't think I'll be able to rattle them all off right now, but, but they basically the idea is that we all have these six human needs, but different people based on their personalities and their life experiences and just who they are kind of prioritize some over others. And so um, two of this, this needs are uh, certainty and uncertainty. So certainty is like knowing predictability, knowing, you know, what's going to happen next, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, you guys are pointing to yourself. I'm like, certainty is me. Right. Uncertainty. That's how a care is made. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and uncertainty <laughs> is, is that, you know, the element of surprise and unpredictability and open-endedness and you know so we all have a little bit of both of those in us but oftentimes people might prioritize those two things differently and so Jen and I we complement each other well because you know I'm I tend to make decisions that are more prioritizing certainty and she tends to make decisions that might be more prioritizing uncertainty and so um, those we've had we've actually had disagreements you know and that's and it, it's, it's lovely because, because we trust each other and we love each other, we can see those differences as opportunities instead of barriers. And it's, it's, a really, it's a really cool way of exploring that in a partnership like this. And I think we could all apply that to all of our relationships, but ego stuff gets in the way and, you know, it's all kinds of layers of that. But, um, but that's one example of how it's helpful to have a, a partner, but the partner doesn't have to think the same way that you do and, and approach things the same way that you do, right? Yeah, so now differences is opportunities. That's that's a gem. That's just a, that's just a yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and now I'm sure everyone's curious, so I'll give you the other four. Oh, good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so certainty and uncertainty, significance, um, and connection, growth, and contribution. So out of those six, uh, people tend to prioritize two um, that, they that really drive their life, um, according to his theory. Will you repeat them one more time? Yeah, so certainty, uncertainty, significance, connection, growth, and contribution. Really so this, cool. this can be useful for when we're working with our patients and clients too. Um, if you can, if you can get into the other person's world and understand what needs drive them, you might be able to motivate them more successfully. So like somebody who you find out based on talking to them, that significance is really important and they're in the hospital with a brain injury. They can't do their job. They can't provide for their family, you know, all of that stuff then figuring out how you can promote that feeling of significance in the therapy that you're doing with them somehow, like, you know, their daughter's graduating from high school, so have them write a speech so they can give a speech or some, something like that. I'm just off the cuff, but, yeah. um, you know, figuring out how to create therapeutic opportunities that tie back into what their personal needs are and not just saying, okay, well, we need to work on writing. So let's write this thing, you know, right. kind of tying it back to what's important to them. And I think it's important from a leadership perspective too, because it's really crucial that you understand how your staff is motivated as well. Um, and those needs can be extremely different from one person to another. And that's going to affect, you know, how you motivate them and keep them on track. That is such a, huge 
<laughs> huge point. I think, um, you know, our experiences um, on sort of both sides of that relationship um, have been so lately, especially so um, like with, with so much uncertainty. And so it creates a sort of a, a, a particular kind of challenge for leaders to be able to lead when they don't really know where or what or how <laughs> the, you know, what the environment they're leading in sometimes looks like um, and how the leaders of like an organization or, you know, a collective kind of approach that we've both have, have had such dramatically different experiences recently. And I'm being intentionally vague. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's hard sometimes. Vermont is a small state. And so we try to like address some of these things that come up without being super specific. Um, So I do think it's important to say like, I am trying to be vague just to not highlight any, any one organization that we are are often in. Um, But just the contrast in style that appears that, that, that um, might otherwise be sort of tolerated in this particular moment of 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 uncertainty it's interesting to see like how capable or not a leader is in recognizing the needs of their employees or their team and if they're able to like how available they are to accept those needs may be different than their own um because i think that's often where i've seen and experienced more of a breakdown is in it being acceptable for a group to not share the same need um, or to have overlapping needs, but maybe in, you know, everyone kind of relates to those needs differently. Um, And it's just, I, I like hearing about different frameworks for describing that because those relationships, I mean, I'm familiar with, um, We've talked a lot about nonviolent communication, and there are some frameworks for, you know, you know, organizing how you communicate with each other that really overlap with what you're describing, but are just articulated differently. Um, and so it's always I, I love to hear about all these different structures that are used to articulate all a lot of the same needs and um, values, but just from slightly different angles. So. Friend, I was thinking about the bird test too, because that was another kind of fun way to look at it, similar to the six uh, essential needs. But um, there's something called the bird test, and you can Google it and find uh, and find a little quiz there. But you pick the words that you feel were most associated with you, and then it it likens you to a bird. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what your needs are and how you function, and. Um, you know, so I actually did that with my staff and, you know, it was like, oh, you're definitely a dove in here. <laughs> and, and it was, it was just fun to see how everybody came out. But Brenda, what were you? I can't remember now. Were I you a dove? I was a dove. You were a dove too. I, I want to go take yeah. this now. We yeah. will. Yeah. We'll take it. We'll take it and we'll report back to you. <laughs> and I'm, I was a peacock. So it kind of lines with the significance because I, you know, I'm uncertainty and significance would probably be my top two so the peacock's a little flashy <laughs> you gotta let me fly that's awesome and Brenda is like the peaceful dove that you know <laughs> wants to contribute and be of service and yeah yeah it's just oh, all different ways of understanding ourselves and and also and with this like the spirit of curiosity and compassion yeah. and kind of you know, intrigue, like, ooh, this is so interesting how we, how we are and how we are different. And, and instead of it causing fear or frustration, and again, I'm working on it. (laughs) Some situations are easier than others. And, and we can, we can go back to the nervous system and evolution to look at why that is. So, you know, the the reason that we even brought this whole thing about meditation into the conversation is because our nervous system and our flight or fight response, fight, flight, freeze response is at the foundation of, of the way that we are and how we make decisions in so many situations. You know, if you go back to prehistoric times, if someone was different or if someone didn't agree with the tribe, 
then everyone was going to die, right? Because there, we, there was a vulnerability there if there was disagreement. And so if we can be really compassionate to that really deep programming of why we get so upset when someone disagrees with us or when we feel threatened, we feel like we might be abandoned or we feel like we're not being effective, um, you know, then it's, it makes more sense. Like, oh, okay, I understand where that tightness in my chest is coming from. I understand where that heat is coming from. It's just because we, I want us all to survive. So, um, so kind of looking at that again, non-judgmentally helps us to, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do any of this stuff, but it does make life a little bit more comfortable when we can. And that works for adults and kids. Like Dan Siegel talks, if you're already familiar with him, he talks a lot about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain and that it all makes sense. It all totally makes sense in educating and teaching kids from the start about this stuff. Super powerful. Right. Yeah. I think we'd all be in better shape if we learned how to notice our emotions a little earlier on before our (laughs) thirties. Yeah, that's a, yep. Um, I'm wondering a little bit about how this work, either from when you started a few years ago or what you've been focusing on now, like what sort of changes has it brought about in your, in, for you, in whatever way you want to share? Hmm. (laughs) It could be, you know, in your, in work. I think about how we, like our relationships with others, how, like the degree of empathy we have for others, I think sometimes that's one thing Mm -hmm. that I've really noticed is that it really allows me to pause and start from that place of appreciating the other person's perspective and having that be the starting place, as opposed to sort of intellectually understanding they have a different perspective and then just going into what my agenda is um, because we're short on time or because they have, they need to know this information or whatever reason. Um, that's the first thing I can think of. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, I can't think of anything specific. Um, I think it just has changed everything. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. I can't think of, I can't really think of where we began and you know where we are now because it's just it's such it's part of such a uh, a journey. Yeah, yeah. I, so I guess I'm gonna take a different. Is it okay? Go for it. Like turn the sure. wheel and turn the wheel a little bit. Um, <laughs> this is what we do. We just turn the wheels. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to think about our listeners, and yeah. I want to think about a listener who is tuning in, and they're like, "Wow, I've I've never I've never even thought about this before, or mm-hmm. I've never heard of these pillars, or I you know I've never thought about those those six what are the characteristics? Mm-hmm. No, yeah." For somebody who's newer and kind of stepping into this area as a professional, let's say they're a professional in the SLP PTOT realm, just to kind of keep it within the therapy world for right mm-hmm. now, where would you recommend they start? Like, I know that's a, a really loaded question, but what's, what's one action step they could take to start learning more about this area or to gain some, some comfort in this area? We'll probably take our courses. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please take yeah. our courses and let us know what you think. But um, I mean, noticing your breath. I was thinking. You know, that. and we can do that. Why don't we take an opportunity <laughs> yeah, to yeah. do that now? Yes, so please. wherever you are, if you're driving, you might want to save this for later. But <laughs> wherever you are, you can just sit or lay down or just find some sort of comfortable position and roll your shoulders all the way up to your ears. And exhale, release them down your back. Let the eyelids flutter close. And just notice your breath. So you don't, don't have to change anything about it yet. Just kind of checking in. First, being really grateful that this breath has been going this whole time without you getting involved at all. You can notice the rise and fall of the chest, the belly as you inhale. And the release as you exhale. It's interesting to look at all of the different aspects of the breath. So noticing temperature of air coming in through the nose, out through the nose. 
can maybe even hear the sound of your own breath. You can feel the clothing brushing against your body as you allow breath in and out. Maybe you keep softening extra muscles that don't have to be involved in this muscles around the eyes, in the mouth, maybe the hips. And just follow three more breaths at whatever pace the breaths are coming and going. No rush, nowhere else to be, nothing else to do, nothing else to think about, just this breath. And let this last one go. And then take a big breath in. Sigh it out. Wiggle the toes, wiggle the fingers, touch each fingertip to your thumb. Start to let the eyelids flutter open and come back into the room. Ah, how are we doing? <laughs> ah, it feels so nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just have to say, can you imagine if teams who were starting to feel really stressed just said, all right, everybody, let's just take, let's take a couple minutes. Stop, drop and breathe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really though. I mean, I think I've, I have never personally experienced that. I don't know if you ever have in a team meeting. <laughs> and when things started to get, you know, no. not visibly yeah. tense, you know, you notice there's a lot of frantic energy that just never collectively I've done that for myself and <laughs> just let there be silence sometimes <laughs> while I take a couple seconds, but yeah. I've never, you know, brought the group's attention to doing the same thing. Maybe we can try. Yeah. Some, sometimes that frenetic energy is useful and sometimes mm -hmm. it's not anymore. And so that's, that's the, then when the decision has to be made to, <laughs> to shift directions. Right. But you know, if someone, that's, that's what I would say. If someone personally is interested, um, that it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think that's something else that Jen and I really try to, to reinforce with people that we come in contact that meditation isn't fancy. It's not special even. It's just normal. It's just being here now. And, um, so, demystifying it and taking away the, you know, the aspects that seem like, oh, I could never do that. I'm, I'm not good at that. It's, it's right. not, it's not even, doesn't even fit into the conversation and, and then noticing how you feel before and after. So, you know, maybe thinking about how your physical body feels before and after, how your thoughts feel before and after just, I mean, I don't know how long that was probably like three minutes or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and, and noticing the impact of that, um, is a great place to start. I think and the people saying, you know, like well, I can't clear my head of the thoughts or that's a common thing we hear mm -hmm. for, for people who aren't having quite tried it or are a little ambivalent and, you know, you're, you're not paying attention to nothing. You're paying attention to everything. And that's the difference. And it's okay if you have thoughts, that's part of the self-awareness piece. So now identifying what is it that you're thinking about in the background? And oftentimes we don't even realize that we have thoughts going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Because we're just so, we, we just assimilate that with us. And that's a totally separate program that's happening. And a lot of it is, you know, repetitive and unnecessary even. Yeah. And it's just the computer programming that, you know, we've been running for years. Yeah. There's a meditation that I listen to sometimes um, that is um, a recording of Jack Cornfield, who's another well-known meditation teacher. Um, and the portion of it that always stands out in my mind when, when this topic comes up is where he says, you know, if a thought comes up, 
just think of it like a puppy that you're training to sit and you, you pick the puppy up and you put it down and you say, stay. Mm -hmm. And then you walk away from the puppy and the puppy walks over to you again and you just pick it up and put it back down and say, stay. And I just love that. Like it's so relatable. And so I like dogs. I think that's probably (laughs) part of it, but it really resonated with me because it isn't this attempt to like eradicate thought from the scene. It's there. And you're just focusing on something else, which is your breath. And the puppy is still just sitting there (laughs) and maybe it wanders over sometimes and you just put it back in its spot and go back to your breath. And for me, that imagery was really effective. So I've held on to that particular um, example. So yeah, Joe does something similar. We like Joe Dispenza and uh, you know, and that's the body controlling the mind. The body is just running the system. Um, you know, when you want to get up or you've done five minutes and you're like, that's good, you know, I'm fine. But but that's, that's you're not in control at that moment. And he will say, you know, you want your body to just stay there. You know, you tell it to stay until you feel like a different person, until you can get up and, and be what you want to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, yeah, I like, I, I am familiar with Joe Dispenza a little bit, but I, I haven't heard much of his, um, like, lectures or, you know, the speaking that he does. Um, but that idea of, like, you'll feel something different. You'll know when there's been a shift. Right. Feels um, so uh, ambiguous, I think, until you feel it. And the willingness to be able to sit and wait and imagine that happening at some point is is a is a specific kind of commitment (laughs) or curiosity maybe just commitment to curiosity but yeah yeah what do you think any other questions no i want to make sure though that we can get links and everything to get to your courses and to get to all of your materials so let's make sure we'll link all of those in the show notes to get to all of your information so people can follow up yeah on your amazing work yeah Jen and I have uh, another one coming out soon. We have, we we were slowed down because of COVID just like everyone else, but um, we have, uh, we have a talk that's really comprehensive um, of the focusing on the adult population for speech pathologists on Northern speech services. And we're working on getting one for the pediatric population published soon. So the talk is ready. It's just a matter of getting it uh, live for you guys. So, um, so those we recommend those because they uh, they really are comprehensive. So, but we'll make sure we get you some links and things like that. And the Facebook group is probably yes, a really good place too. Yeah. If people are interested in learning more or hearing about other SLPs' experiences or curiosities, um, there is definitely some wonderful conversation that happens in that group. Yeah, and for everybody, uh, anybody who's working directly with COVID patients or, you know, uh, kind of on the front lines, I have that video that I posted with the three, um, you know, hacks to calm anxiety for yourself and your patients. So I think that could be really helpful for for people right now. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you. It was so lovely to get to meet you and hear about all of your work. And also just to feel like the enthusiasm and the, I think, um, energy and sort of generative energy that you bring to what you're doing. It's really, um, it's, it's really refreshing to interact with people in our field who are sort of exploring those boundaries and, you know, exploring, um, integrating concepts that have maybe been present, but need to be like unearthed a little bit. And to hear, to hear you talk about that is really exciting. So for both of us, I know we're both (laughs) both really excited. (laughs) Yeah, this has been really fun. So good to, to be with you guys.